What Remains Inside, Chapter 8 Although Terry had already moved to UMass, she was home for the weekend. I felt a cloud of safety follow me. My mother never knew Terry the same way she knew me. She couldn't trick Terry into believing things about killers and plots. She did other things to Terry, things that I was immune to. But when it came to killers and the mafia, Terry was like a superhero. She could break my mother's logic down and walk right through her constructions of reality. We sat on Kathy's bed and drank three Budweiser's. Kathy held her hand out and three small green pills sat on her palm. They were a drug called tea. We assumed tea was like mescaline or acid. We didn't know what it was. Like a synchronized routine, we each placed the pill gingerly on our tongues. We gulped a beer and sat there in silence, the calm before the storm. There was nothing to say until it started to hit us. So we acted too casual, using up our time as normal people, because soon we would be tripping. Kathy left the room and returned a minute later with her tight leather coat on. Let's go to the mills, she said. The mills was a big empty parking lot on the edge of New Bedford Harbor in the South End. It was a parking lot surrounded by old textile mills, large brick buildings with rows and rows of arched windows. All the kids from New Bedford High School went to the mills in the summer, hundreds of kids. We pulled out of Kathy's driveway and headed through our neighborhood, Pine Hill Acres. Let's do some lawns, I said. A big smile crossed Kathy's face. Her little teeth were all showing, and she pressed her foot hard on the accelerator. She pushed down hard, and the car's engine revved. Then she drove her car straight through someone's lawn. She pressed harder and turned the wheel. Deep tire tracks were left in the middle of a grassy front lawn. The car practically bounced as it slammed down over the curb. We were laughing hysterically, so hard that Kathy had to pull over. Terry had her head in her lap, and I was leaning against the glass, turning to face out the window, trying to stop laughing. Kathy revved the engine again, and the car bucked forward, then caught. She was heading up towards a house sitting on a hill. The big tan Buick was crazy mad, and it tore through the front lawn, then broke through a flower bed as it exited back towards Phillips Road. Oh my God, I screamed as the laughter poured out of me. Kathy hit the accelerator and sped out of Pine Hill Acres. We got onto Phillips Road and we were still cracking up. Kathy pushed the lighter and lit a cigarette. I took a sip of my beer and looked out the window. Finally, the beer was relaxing me. But even though I was having fun, my mother's story was still inside me. It was moving around and making me jumpy. I saw things in the corner of my eye. It was just nagging at me the inevitability of the hit on these kids. How was it that I was the only one with this information? How could I be the only one to save these kids? I drank down the rest of my beer. I wished the tea would hit me. It was dark when we pulled into the mills and at least a hundred people were there. I knew that somewhere amongst these groups of figures in the dark was Ryan Todd. I knew he was there, but he wasn't visible. Music blared from car stereos and there were circles of kids in groups of 10 or 20. It was too dark to make out who was there. Ordinarily, I would have walked around and saw who was there, but that night, we just parked the car facing the harbor. There was a rock dike that led out to the water. I knew that rats lived in between the boulders of the dike. I knew there were rats everywhere. I had seen them scurrying around the water's edge after dark. Whenever I went there, I always stayed near the cars and the noise. I was afraid of the dark rats that lurked around the periphery. 
We were sitting on the hood of Kathy's car. It had been over an hour since we took the tea. I had a bottle of TJ Swan wine, which tasted exactly like cotton candy. I was gulping it down, and I was drunk. Why isn't it doing anything, I asked. I don't fucking know, Kathy said, sucking a big drag of her cigarette. Her red nails were perfectly polished and reflected the dim yellow light of the street lamps. Suddenly, my wine bottle fell. I didn't remember dropping it, but the sound of the pieces of glass moved in a kind of suspended rhythm. I could see the noise in little pieces as each piece fell in slow motion and hit the asphalt. It sounded just like miniature church bells to me. I felt the urge to continue the music, so I walked over to the bottle and swept the pieces of broken glass with my bare hands. I was moving it back and forth, and the glass chimed. It was harmonic, and I heard someone say, She's going to hurt herself. Suddenly, everything went black. When I woke up, Erica de Montague, who I didn't hang around with much anymore because of her obnoxious bullying attitude, was sitting in the back seat of Kathy's car with me. Her long hair was a mass of yellow blonde waves. She was drunk and saying that she thought my head was a pillow, a little kitten pillow. I sat up and everything looked like a muddied painting. The colors took on a putrid gray and the light was dim and it strained my eyes to make out shapes. I was scared about what happened to my mind when I went black. It was a long time, three hours. I hadn't been sleeping during all of that time. I had been walking around, talking to people. I was scared of that time I didn't remember. I rushed to get out of the car and ran to the perimeter of the parking lot. I began throwing up and Margaret Tapper from my English class came over to me. She was holding my hair back and she kept saying, I don't know what I would do if I were you. I wouldn't have an abortion, but I wouldn't have a baby either. I didn't know if she was drunk or what she wanted me to say, but all I could do was throw up and dry heave. I really wouldn't, she kept saying. I wouldn't have an abortion and I wouldn't have a baby either.